This week on Myths and Legends, it's a short supplemental episode where I tell the story of a prophetic bard named Myrdin, who inspired the modern conception of Merlin. You'll see that running away from your problems not only solves all of them, but will get you super special powers to see the future, too. Despite his claims, Myrdin will show that he's definitely not over his ex-wife when he gives her the worst wedding gift imaginable. Also, medieval scientific theory is adorable. On the Creature of the Week, if you use the wrong type of dish soap, it's okay. This house spirit will just stay up all night shattering your dishes and shrieking at your kids. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 8, Call of the Wild. This is a podcast where I tell the stories that have shaped cultures throughout history. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. I'm out this week, but I wanted to record a short supplemental on the crazy prophet bard that inspired Geoffrey of Monmouth's Merlin. His name is Myrdin the Wild, and he's a Welsh warrior bard from the 6th or 7th century. Monmouth actually writes about him, but he includes him much later and calls him Merlin, and to him this story takes place after the death of Arthur. But it's not really in the continuity we'll be using, so I'm going to call him Myrdin. Monmouth is basing his story on several different older Welsh sources, and I honestly can't make heads or tails of them. So I'm just going to go with Monmouth's Vita Merlini, which I've linked on the transcript page. I'm going to set this before the Arthurian legends, but really, it doesn't matter. Like I said, he's based off a maybe real person from the 6th or 7th century. It's set in a time, once again, where there are several warring petty kings. Myrdin is a warrior bard and advisor to one of the kings, and he's pretty high up in society. He has a wife in this one, and a sister as well. The other kings became antagonistic towards Myrdin's, and it came to war. A war which Myrdin's kingdom lost. Upon watching his friends being slaughtered on the battlefield, he snapped. Weeping, he tore his clothes, threw dust in the air, and rolled around on the ground, wailing in front of an enemy prince named Peridur, a Welsh version of Percival, a knight of the round table who will go questing for the Holy Grail later on in the Arthurian stories. But for all intents and purposes for our story today, this is not the same person. Anyway, Myrdin is making things super awkward, and they try to calm him down, but he's not having any of it. For three days, he wept on the ground of the enemy camp. Then, yes, then, he went mad and ran off into the Caledonian forest, sneaking out of the enemy camp without anyone seeing where he went. Some sources indicate that this is punishment for his misdeeds, though it's not really said what his misdeeds were. He spent the summer in the forest and lived under an ash tree, eating berries, fruits, vegetables, even the grass of the field, and he found some small measure of peace away from the kingdoms of men. This is exactly what Yvain did at the end of episode 1b, and it's actually a trope in medieval literature of one who goes completely mad and runs off into the forest. It's either punishment for something that the person has done, as in the case of Yvain, or it bestows power on the person, as in the case of Myrdin, or it allows him to prophesize. Everything is going well, during summer, but it never dawns on him that winter is coming, and he's caught completely unprepared. He's laying on the cold ground, looking for turnips and other root vegetables, when he's spotted by a traveler. He bolts, and the traveler's smart and does not follow the crazy vagrant into the woods. He does, however, tell some people in passing about the old man. They tell more people, and they tell others. Finally, it reaches the ears of the Britannic king, Rydirk. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't speak Old Welsh. 
who just so happens to be married to Meriden's sister, who is very much wanting to know what happened to her brother after he snapped and took off from enemy captivity. Oh, and Meriden's wife is there as well. They send a messenger, who finds Meriden still loudly complaining about how cold it is at the top of the mountain, sitting by a spring. As an aside, if you're with it enough mentally to complain about the cold, you're sane enough to go inside. The messenger sent to see him plays a song about how sad Meriden's wife and sister are, and for some reason this calms the man enough for some brief moments of lucidity. He convinces the bar to come back to the city. Upon entering the city, though, he sees all the people. He's not in the city, but back in the battlefield. He's not seeing the crowds, but the corpses of his friends. His sanity leaves him, and he bolts for the forest. The king is ready, though, and the guards grab Myrden. When the king can't reason with him and sees that all the man wants is the serenity of the forest, he, naturally, has him locked up. The king comes to him, pleading that Myrden puts off this whole madman thing. He's safe here. He can live in plenty and security. And to prove this, he offers him all manner of clothes, horses, gold and gems, and birds and dogs, because who doesn't love dogs? Myrden resists, though, and says, To these gifts I prefer the groves and broad oaks of the Caledon, and the lofty mountains with green pastures at their feet. Those are the things that please me, not these of yours. Take these away with you, King Ryderk. My Caledonian forest is rich in nuts, and the forest that I prefer to everything else shall have me. Except that it's winter, and he was just complaining about how sparse the forest was. Whatever, he's a madman. It becomes obvious that Meriden will only be happy in the forest. He's a changed man, a wild man. To demonstrate his power, Meriden says that the queen, his sister, is cheating on the king. To prove that Meriden is just a raving madman, the queen has the same boy put in three different disguises and go up to Meriden three times and ask him to prophesy his death. Meriden says three different things, and the queen presents this to the king, who laughs with her about it. Of course Meriden is a madman, the king thinks. He was wrong about my wife, too. Let him go. Meriden's sister then does a complete about-face and starts begging him not to leave. She cries and rolls around on the ground and scratches her face. What will happen to his wife, she says. Meriden says he doesn't care. His wife can remarry if she likes, because he no longer has a wife. He has nothing except the forest, which his sister is separating him from. He rides past her and out of everyone's life for years. If you're wondering about the prophecy about the person his sister sent to him, it was that the boy would die by falling from a high rock, meet death in a tree by misjudgment, and would die in a river. As you can see, these things are not mutually exclusive, so you can probably guess what will happen. When the boy's out hunting, he and his hounds chase a stag up a hill. The boy was moving so quickly on the horse that the stag, horse, and the boy didn't see the rocky cliff looming ahead. He went headlong off the cliff, fulfilling the first prophecy that he would fall from a high rock, and then crashed through a tree at the bottom of the cliff, where he slowed enough to be knocked unconscious in the river below, fulfilling the second prophecy, that he would meet death in a tree. He drowned in minutes, with his feet still entangled in the tree. Thus, he fulfilled all three prophecies. Myrden lives for years in the wilderness, at peace, and somehow learns of his ex-wife's upcoming wedding. Given that he had disappeared in the forest years ago, his wife was allowed to remarry. He says that he bears her no ill will, and that he supports this decision. 
he rides a stag to her wedding. Definitely bearing her ill will and not supporting the decision, he murders the bridegroom with the stag's horn. More precisely, he calls them both to the gate, saying that their present was here. His ex-wife is charmed that he's riding a stag, and the bridegroom is amused as he stands looking out the high window. Well, Mirden wrenches the horns off the stag and flings them up, smashing the poor man's head in and killing him instantly. His ex-wife can only watch in horror as he takes off, but he's captured once again by the king and pardoned for seemingly no reason other than that he's the king's brother-in-law. A similar instance happens as that of the story of Merlin, which happened a couple weeks ago, where they passed some people. Mirden chuckles and then explains hidden knowledge about the situation or knowledge about the person's death. It's likely that this is the inspiration for what happened in the Merlin story. Once again not happy in chains for some reason, he wants to leave. His sister builds him a small house in the wilderness, and he lives in it in the winter. They're reconciled, and she visits him often, recording his many prophecies. As this was written approximately 700 years later, the prophecies are startlingly accurate, detailing things up to and including the Norman Conquest in 1066. King Ryderk dies, and another prophetic Welsh bard named Taliesin, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, comes to live with Meriden. He's a relatively famous figure in Celtic legend. They start talking about medieval perceptions of science, which are cute but utterly unrelated to the larger story. They start to get into a bit of a prophecy competition, and then talk about the past and completely rehash the story of Vortigern, Ambrosius, Uther, and Arthur. Retainers then rush in and tell the pair that a new spring has broken out from the rocks under a nearby mountain. They go and see it, and as soon as Mirden drinks from it, he's cured of his madness and can no longer prophesize. Another madman rushes in, but they subdue him and cure him as well. Lastly, Taliesin chooses to drink from the spring. They all live out in the forest together, Myrden, Taliesin, the other formerly madman, and Myrden's sister. And all of them, including the sister, are able to prophesize at times, despite not really being mad anymore. They form a cool science-slash-prophecy club, and they talk about medieval science stuff, which, by today's standards, is wildly off. But they're trying. Despite his madness having subsided, he chooses to live out his days in the Caledonian forest. Despite having the ear of kings, and having once nearly ruled a kingdom, Mirden found happiness in nature, communing with God, and experiencing true peace. Next week on the podcast, it's a different sort of story. Stories, actually. I won't be telling one long story, but four shorter ones. All having to do with dogs. We'll return to the Norse, as well as to Wales, and then we'll hear about a despotic ruler who decided to make his tiny dog a king. If you've enjoyed the show, and would like to support it, it would be amazing if you'd rate or review it on iTunes. Links to everything are in the show notes. The creature this week is the Kikimora of Slavic folklore. It's a female house spirit, in the form of a small old woman with literal chicken legs, and possibly a beak. She lives behind the stove in your house, and will make the noises of a mouse to indicate that she wants food. Though that seems a little counterintuitive to me. If I heard mice behind my stove, the last thing I would do is leave food out to feed them. Like a lot of house spirits, once she's in, she's in. She's not all bad, and will sometimes help out with the housework and tend to the chickens that we all still have, though you somehow need to keep her from eating the chicken eggs. If you make her unhappy, she'll be up all night breaking dishes in your kitchen and screaming. And if she's not being super belligerent, she's tickling, 
whistling, or whining at your kids in their sleep, waking them up. To appease her, you need to wash all the pots and pans in your house with fern tea, which, along with the chickens, is also really easy to find in every house nowadays. When she's not messing with your kids, breaking your dishes, and shrieking at night, she likes to spin flax in the linen thread. I don't know what she does with the thread, but it's definitely not for you, because if you see her doing it, you'll die. It's said that she spins flax from dusk till dawn, with evil intentions for the world. I don't know what plans she has, but if she's spinning for six to eight hours a night, they must require a lot of linen thread. My personal pet theory is that she's behind the thread count discrepancies in sheets. You know, how you buy higher thread count sheets, bring them home, and they feel like every other sheet you've ever felt? Yeah, she's probably the one spreading frustration and slight discomfort with her evil thread. Regardless, we don't know what her plans are, just that they require a lot of thread. So, if you see something, say something. Unless you actually see the Kikimura at the loom, then just run, because she's definitely going to try to kill you. That's it for the show this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by the indisputable Steve Combs. Links to the other music I used are in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.